Welcome to another Tyrius Cast. I'm Jim McGregor, and I'm joined today by my esteemed colleague, Steve Liebson. And Steve, today we're going to talk about FPGAs. Now, I know a lot of people don't even really think about FPGAs today in today's microprocessor world, but FPGAs have become a really huge topic in the semiconductor industry, not just for what we traditionally used them for, but also for kind of embedded solutions. So, Let's talk about some of the announcements, though, because, I mean, now there's a whole bunch of announcements around new FP- FPGAs in the market, ranging from the low end to the high end, and today we're going to talk kind of about the mid-range, and they're being used in a lot of different applications today for a lot of different reasons. So, can you kind of give us an overview of why the FPGA market has become so interesting all of a sudden? Sure. The main reason that FPGAs have become so interesting all of a sudden is really because the two major players, Intel and AMD, have focused on the high end and have really brought out some gigantic parts that can, in many cases, take the place of ASICs or ASSPs. And the reason you might want to do that is to avoid the NRE charges associated with designing a large ASIC or because you can't afford to wait six months to a year to produce a chip. FPGAs give you a shortcut. They allow you to develop essentially in a few days what would normally take a year to develop if you were doing an ASIC. And the reason that they do that is because the FPGA, the chip, is designed for you. But when it arrives at your door, it's blank. And you fill the insides with your design. And with the new larger FPGAs that have been available now for more than a decade, you can do some pretty serious designs. And for that reason, because they can get more money for the high-end FPGAs, Intel and AMD have really focused on the high-end. Frankly, that's where the real technological development has been. So the people who run these companies who are interested in cutting-edge technology and getting maximum amounts of margin they focused on the high end. Now, AMD and Intel are not the only companies that are involved in FPGAs. Another company that started about the same time as those other two is Lattice Semiconductor. But Lattice chose to specialize in complex PLDs early on and got into the FPGA game later. And they have really focused on low-end FPGAs mostly because it's a lucrative market that they can get into and not have to compete with Intel and AMD because Intel and AMD are not that interested in low end at the moment. In addition, Microchip has gotten into the FPGA market, but they got into it by acquiring other FPGA companies, most notably Actel. Actel was a major player in the early days of FPGAs. They were eclipsed by Intel and AMD. Microchip has bought them. It is one of a series of acquisitions. And so Microchip also has been playing at the low end. The big thing that's been happening the last couple of months and what has been happening that I've written up in EE Journal in three articles is that the mid-range has suddenly heated up. Microchip has announced Polar Fire 2. Lattice has announced a new series called Avant, and Intel 
has suddenly become interested again in mid-range and they have been talking for about a year about a product line called Sundance Mesa which they have now formally announced as the Agilex 5 series of FPGAs. Now one of the things I noted from some of your notes on this is the fact that a lot of these guys are targeting kind of the 14-16 nanometer note which means they are on the FinFET technology. So they're not they're not on the newest technology, obviously, down to, you know, the seven and five nanometers that we're looking at today for some of the most advanced chips. But they are at least on the FinFET technology and do have a scaling, uh, a place to scale going forward. Now, besides that, is there any significant difference between some of the parts, you know, between Lattice, Microchip and Intel? There is indeed. Most notably... Microchips Polar Fire 2 is going to have the non-volatile memory for the FPGA configuration on the chip. And that's not true for Lattice, and it's not true for Intel, and it's not true for AMD Xilinx. Uh, those companies have SRAM-based FPGAs. But Microchip specializes in having the configuration memory on the chip. And this has a couple of advantages. First of all, obviously, it saves you from having to have a configuration flash memory on your board alongside the FPGA. So you save on a part, you save on the real estate on the board. But even more important than that, it has given Microchip a toehold in space-based FPGAs. If you look at the FPGAs that are on various spacecraft, you will find that the majority of them are Microchip non-volatile memory-based FPGAs. Now, there's an interesting aspect to this. As you point out, these are FinFET processes. FinFET processing is new to both Microchip and Lattice. Now, neither of them are making their own chips. Microchip's parts are made by TSMC, uh, UMC, excuse me, I think. They haven't formally announced who it is, but their parts are currently made by UMC. So it's a good guess that they are still going to be made by UMC. And Lattice's parts are made by TSMC. They have announced that. But the interesting thing about FinFET is nobody is commercially using a FinFET process to make non-volatile memory at the moment. So this is an interesting new aspect to it is who's making a FinFET process that has non-volatile memory as part of it. And the only reason we know that you can do that is because TSMC wrote a paper back in 2005 that showed that you could do this. But as far as I know, no one has actually bothered to do this just yet. That is interesting. And you note the space application. I think one important thing to note, and I've always really liked FPGAs, it's not just it's programmable, but it's reprogrammable. So, I mean, if your design changes, you can test it out again. And in a lot of cases, it's not just for testing purposes. Like space, a lot of other applications don't have huge volumes. They don't have hundreds or millions of units. So using an FPGA is a very effective solution. It gets you to market quick. You have that reprogrammability, say a codec changes, say an interface changes, say you need to, some odd pinout compatibility for I.O. You know, it gives you all that flexibility. So besides space, what other applications are these companies targeting with these mid-range FPGAs? So 
there's the difference between what they say they're targeting, what these parts are actually going to get used in. <laughs> so the, 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 the marketing departments like to say, oh, well, we're going to be used in uh, vision and we're going to be used in AI and we're going to be used in connectivity, which, of course, are the biggest markets and the hottest markets and the one that gets you the most press. Where these things are going to be used is everywhere. The reason that you use an FPGA instead of a processor is you need to get something done faster than a microprocessor can do it. Because when you look at it, microprocessors are reprogrammable too. You download new code, they do something new. But they run things one instruction at a time. And so if, they're, if they can run multi-threaded or if they're multi-core, they can run a few more instructions than that. But FPGAs can do thousands of different things at the same time. They have huge amounts of parallelism, and so they are an order or two orders or three orders of magnitude faster at getting things done than a microprocessor would be. Now, I'm on the books as saying, I'm on the record as saying, if you can get a microprocessor to do your job at all, that's what you should do. Because people are very well versed in writing software for microprocessors, it's a lot harder to write a configuration code for an FPGA. You need a hardware engineer who's versed in thinking in parallel, who knows a different sort of a programming language. You use either Verilog or VHDL generally to program these. There are C compilers that can get you down to an FPGA. They are good at some things, not so good at others. So with that said, what do you think the outlook is for these products? Do you think the market's growing? Do you think it's kind of relatively stable? Or do you think that the microcontrollers and the microprocessors eventually displace even this segment as well? No, I don't think microcontrollers and microprocessors will displace this segment because they're not going to be fast enough. The reason that these parts are going to do well is because the parts that they're replacing, the older FPGAs, are really old. 40 nanometer to 28 nanometer devices. And so they suffer from a variety of ills that people would rather get around. First of all, they're not fast enough. Secondly, they dissipate too much power. Thirdly, they don't have enough capacity in terms of logic elements, which is the thing that you use to measure the capacity of an FPGA. So these new process technologies, they're going to give people the thing that they're looking for in the mid-range, which means a cheaper part than the high-end stuff at lower power dissipation at the mid-range instead of at the high end, and with small footprints. Both Intel and Lattice are focusing on how their devices have small footprints because people want to put things in portable devices, small footprint devices, but what you get with small footprint is you get very closely spaced bumps on the bottom of the chip. So you have to have fairly fine line geometries for your circuit boards. But people are willing to do that in order to fit into small form factors. But it's still fair to say that just because all of these are in the same category, you have to kind of pick and choose between power, form factor, functionality, and performance to decide which one's the best for your application. Yes. In all of engineering, the three Ps are always there, price, performance, and power. Okay, and you make your trade-off there, but there's one other aspect with FPGAs that makes a difference. It's a big difference, and that is that when you pick an FPGA, you also pick a development tool. Each of these vendors, because of tradition, offers their own development tools. So once you pick one, 
if you're in the Lattice camp or the Microchip camp or the Intel camp or the AMD camp, when you get a development tool, you're pretty much stuck because there's a tremendous amount of learning involved in knowing how to use one of these tools. And so there's a lot of built-in inertia. Some people think that this is intentional, but it really is just the way the industry has evolved. Each uh, FPGA vendor has had to develop their own tools because the big EDA vendors were really not interested in the relatively small numbers of people that were developing with FPGAs. It wasn't a big enough market for the big three EDA vendors to dip their toes into. Now, that said, the really big users of FPGAs, they use professional ASIC development tools, and then they use a bridge supplied by their EDA vendor to get to the FPGA. It produces better uh, configuration code, uh, but it costs you many hundreds of thousands of dollars to take that route, so most FPGA users are not going to. I have to say, I was a bit surprised to see Intel kind of entering this market because, once again, that's, as you indicated before, this is not the market that Intel is normally known for. Well, first of all, you know, Intel entered the FPGA market when it acquired Altera back in 2015 or so. Exactly. And, yeah, so they, they didn't go into it organically. They just bought Altera. Now, Altera was using Intel as a foundry at the time. And we could have an interesting discussion of why Intel decided to buy Altera. And I used to work for Intel, so maybe I have more knowledge than most that I'm not going to talk about. But the result is that they're in the FPGA market, and the people who were with Altera are still there by and large, and they are determined to keep the market that they have. And so after getting banged on by their customers for many years, they decided to refresh their mid-range line, and they have done so now with Agilex 5, which is really built from the Sundance Mesa lower mid-range parts, plus the Agilex 5D series parts that they introduced previously. So there's actually quite a wide range there. Now, in addition to that, Intel is promising us that there will be an Agilex 3 series we don't know what that looks like yet, but it's going to be below the mid-range, so maybe it's going to be a low-end device, maybe not. If that's the case, if it's a low-end device, that means that Intel will have expanded the Agilex line from being only a high-end brand of FPGA to being their universal brand of FPGA. Well, that and the fact that Intel, more than any of these other companies, has the ability to leverage its own semiconductor manufacturing technology to push FPGAs to more advanced process nodes. That is correct. Right now, Agilex parts are made with what is known as uh, Intel 7, which used to be known as 10 nanometer plus plus or 10 nanometer super fin plus, lots of different names. And it's like the old uh, TV show, whose line is it anyway? The points don't matter. In this case, the numbers don't matter because what we used to measure with these numbers, like 28 nanometer and the gate 16 lengths. nanometer, as soon as we went to FinFET, yeah, that was the gate lengths. In the world of FinFETs, that's not what it means. It means it's the equivalent of a planar transistor with that kind of gate length. And of course, as soon as we get into equivalent sort of discussions, we can put in any fudge factors that we want. Yeah, I think if we go off on this topic, we'll be here all day. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. So 
Any other comments before we wrap this one up on uh, the mid-range FPGA market and what to expect? Yeah. So we haven't really talked about AMD Xilinx. They have, as well, a mid-range part. They have the Arctic Ultra Scale Plus and they have Kintex Ultra Scale Plus. They've been very quiet about this. So I am curious to see how they're going to respond to this sudden interest in mid-range FPGAs by three other competitors. There has to be some response at some point. Yeah, and I guess we're still waiting to see that whole integration pattern of Xilinx by AMD. Well, with that, this brings us to another wrap of another Tyrius cast. Please remember that Tyrius Research is a market research and advisory firm that provides custom research and advice to the entire high-tech ecosystem from sensors to the cloud. If you'd like more information, or inquire about our services, please contact us directly. I'm Jim at Tyrius Research. It's T-I-R-I-A-S Research. Steve is Steve at Tyrius Research. And our other colleagues are Francis, F-R-A-N-C-I-S, and Kevin at Tyrius Research. You can also keep up with us through our podcasts, which are on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify, and our articles. As Steve mentioned, he's writing articles on this topic in EE Journal. We also have articles in EE Times, Forbes, ECT News, and Microelectronics in Taiwan. We have a monthly newsletter you can sign up for through our website. And you can keep up with us on LinkedIn and Twitter through our Tyrius Research link, which is at Tyrius Research, or our individual links. We've got at Steve Liebson, at Crewell, K-R-E-W-E-L-L for Kevin Crewell, at F. Sedeco for Francis Sedeco, and at Tech Strategist, that's T-E-K Strategist for myself. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.